Good morning. Um, I, I had a couple requests for the worship team this week. One was that last song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, um, because when I'm feeling downcast or um, anxious, I find that song welling up in my spirit, and I begin to sing it to myself. And when I do, it reminds me that if I can turn my focus, focus on Jesus, then all the other stuff goes dim. And so um, today, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about what do we do when we are discouraged, when our faces are downcast. And um, Justin has asked me to preach this morning, and he um, said something about a month ago and gave me some options. And one of them was that April is second chance month. And I had never heard of this before, and the reason I had never heard of it is because it actually just became a thing March 31st um, of this year. So, uh, April is Second Chance Month, and that is in, in regards to um, people who have been incarcerated in prison and jail and who have now gotten out. And so... Um, I didn't know this, but more than 600,000 individuals are released from prison or jail every year. And when you think about it, that's quite a big number. And you have to think about what are they faced with when they come out of prison. And as a church, this is something that should really be important to us because, I mean, that is what God does, is he gives us all second chances. And so as Christians, you know, we really need to take the time and think, like, how do we treat people who have been released from prison or from jail? You know, how do we feel about that? What do we do in the church? Um, you know, how do we feel if an uh, ex-con came in here and sat next to us in the pew? What would our reactions be? The truth is we've all sinned, and there's a lot of feedback on this mic. Uh, we've all sinned, and we're all in need of a second chance. Only some of our sins are legal, and some are not. Does that make sins that are legal less of a sin in the eyes of God? We all have seen those mugshots. I don't know, I sometimes we'll go to Knox County mugshots, and I'll look at that. And it's a picture that's taken of someone at maybe the lowest time of their life. And it's the time when everything that they have done wrong is now in the light. The whole public can see what that person has been hiding, that double life that they have been living. Um, I'm going to share just a little bit of my story. In my early 20s, I was in that place. I was in the lowest place of my life. Um, I was living only to please myself. I had stopped going to church. I was using drugs, failing most of my classes in college, sleeping all day and partying all night. But unless you knew me, you really didn't know all of that was going on. I was never arrested, but I did have an experience that like a mugshot, um, is pretty visible for all to see. I became pregnant. So at the age of 20, I met Matt, and it wasn't short, shortly after that we became pregnant. And I, um, I was very ashamed, especially to be around my church family, 
because I didn't know what they would think of me, what they were going to say about me. Um, I knew I had disappointed my family. I knew that even though my friends and family were trying to be supportive and be congratulatory about something that's so exciting, which is um, the birth of a baby, I also knew that they were scared to death of what road I was walking down. You notice I never said I was worried about what God was going to say to me. I started going to my doctor's appointments, and it just so happened that my nurse was Lynn Nielsen. At first, I was mortified and wanted to hide. Here I was running from God, and he lined it up that the nurse who was going to be taking care of me for the next nine months of my pregnancy was my pastor's wife. And, you know, just embarrassed, ashamed. Um, she never gave me the impression that she thought less of me, that she judged me. Instead, she just offered me grace and mercy. And every appointment, it was like God was wooing me back in. I should have come back to church at that point, but I did not. It would be years of running from God and struggling to fix myself before I would come to the end of my running. I swallowed my pride and I came back to church. Um, I, we sat in the exact same seat that Matt sits in now. <laughs> Uh, I can remember uh, songs that was being sang, and it was um, the Revelation song, and it was holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and he just flooded me with his mercy and grace, and I was overcome with forgiveness, and tears were just pouring, um, you know, it was probably a, a real bad mess, but, um, you know, God had showed me that I was redeemed, that he would pursue me that whole time. And I knew that God loved me, but I didn't understand grace. I didn't truly understand it until that moment. I didn't know that in Christ I was forgiven completely and I was redeemed. Not because I was good enough, but because Christ is enough. God allowed me to stray so that I could come to a place of true repentance. And when I could no longer hide my sin, God set me free. Second Chance Month is about prison ministry and how we can support people trying to do things differently. Our congregation has supported the Life After Meth program for several years. LAM, as it's called, is a prison ministry. It is a Christian program that goes inside the jail and preaches the gospel and repentance. Lives are changed through this program. Families are restored. And people can begin to walk down a different path. It is a real blessing if you've never sat around people from the LAM program because all you see is authenticism. Their shame and guilt was out there with the mugshot. Everybody knew, everybody had seen, and they've already received the grace and forgiveness from God. So it's a true blessing if you've ever been around someone like that. It's, you can just see God all over them. And once you've been set free, from something like methamphetamines, you don't go back. Mugshots tell the story of a person lost trying to find their own way. And it's important when you can no longer hide the truth because your truth has caught up with you. You may have never struggled with substance abuse, but we have all got hidden sin. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to really think about it. What would your mugshot say if you were arrested for your sin? 
Undoubtedly, the picture would resemble your driver's license photo, the worst picture of you ever. And your police record might say something like pride, anger, jealousy, bitterness, gossip. Since Easter, Pastor Justin has been preaching about the evidence of who Christ was, his death, his resurrection, and we've had all these evidence boxes out on the stage. And um, I want us to kind of rethink what these evidence boxes hold this morning. And imagine if in these boxes is everything you've done wrong your whole entire life, just records, days, weeks, months, moments of what you've done wrong. Imagine you're arrested and the whole world can read your deepest struggles. You aren't taken to jail, but trying to hide your sin and fix yourself is your prison. You won't go in front of a judge or a jury to have your sins tried, but you will stand before God and account for everything you have or haven't done during your time here on earth. The attorney against you is a familiar enemy. He is known in Revelation as the accuser of our brethren, who accuses them before our God day and night. you imagine? He's relentless. He pulls out these evidence pieces, and he shows them to the Father, and he says, but she's doing this, and he did that. You hear that same voice of the devil anytime you try to step out in faith and be obedient to what God is calling you to do. You're not good enough. You don't belong here. Everyone will find out who you really are. There's a scripture that many people like to quote. God won't give you more than you can handle. Any of you heard that one? I'm sure you all have heard it because people say it all the time. Maybe you've even said it to someone. But it's simply not true. How do I know this? Because God gives me more than I can handle every single day of my life. No. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Our way out is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The Bible prepares us for the trials that we don't even see coming. A few weeks ago when we were studying superheroes and we were talking about Hulk, I just couldn't get the idea of Cain and Abel and anger out of my mind. And so with the youth, that's what we studied that night was Cain and Abel. And I told them straight up, I don't have the answers to all your questions in this small little bit of scripture, because if you've read through it, it actually brings up more questions than it does answers. But we all sat through it and struggled together. Cain is Adam and Eve's firstborn son. Abel is his younger brother. Cain is a farmer, just as his father was, and Abel is the first recorded shepherd. After some time, Cain decides to bring an offering to the Lord. The Bible says he brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Then his little brother brings an offering as well. We are told that Abel brings the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel's offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. 
The text in Genesis doesn't give us the details as to why Cain's offering was not pleasing to the Lord. So one may wonder, what is God doing? Because any good parent does not pick favoritisms or pit siblings against one another. But later in Hebrews, the Bible reveals what the sin was. Cain brings the offering that really didn't require much faith. Abel gave God the choice portion of his flock. Abel's offering shows a level of trust because he would need the Lord's provision for more sheep. He didn't give out of God's extras. He gave his best. He gave his best. God used this moment not to shame or criticize Cain, but to teach him. And right away we see how this failure affects Cain. He becomes angry and his face is downcast. I wonder if anyone here would be brave enough to admit that they don't do well with criticism. Well, I don't. And this might come as a surprise to Matt, but... <laughs> um, I'm my own worst enemy when it comes to criticism, and I've, it's really been apparent over the last few years, but um, just to give you one simple example, uh, about a m month ago in math class, we had to prepare a lesson and then implement the lesson in front of our peers while our peers evaluated us. Then we were to get back our evaluations and read through them, and I just thought, well, I'm going to throw those in the trash. I don't want to read that. I just didn't want to see one single critique. And that was until I realized that we were going to have to do a reflection paper where I had to, like, go back and say the things the peers thought I did wrong and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, you learn something about yourself. Criticism is meant to make you better. It's humbling to come under the authority of someone, to submit your flesh to someone who is giving you advice or correcting you. Um, as a child, we had an incident this week that was pretty bad with Hank at practice, and I won't humiliate him on the Facebook, but um, it could have been really bad. He uh, ac accidentally had hit a boy in the face with a bat, and he came home from practice, and he ran right into his room and under his blankets, and I heard Matt come in after him and ask him if he was okay. You know, are you okay? Are you okay? And I thought, what in the world has happened? And I went in there, and he was just in a cocoon under his blanket. And I just think that's a perfect picture of how we feel when we do something wrong. That our first instinct is to want to just hide from it, just to not be seen in our, in our struggles. If you're at work, it's hard when you mess up, and you have to be criticized. But it's to make you a better employee. If you're an athlete, you're being criticized for the plays you make, and that's not alone somewhere. Sometimes it's on the basketball court for all eyes to see. But what we do when we are criticized really says a lot about our character, and it's really an important part in maturity for us as Christians and what it means to be discipled. We are to make disciples, but we're also supposed to be maturing in Christ ourselves. It's part of the process. Now I don't have a hand. Oh. So in Cain's story, it was God that he had disappointed. 
And Cain's response was to become angry and discouraged. But when God enters the scene and gives Cain the way out, we have to see if Cain takes the warning. So in Genesis, we're going to read chapter 6, 4, 6 through 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And he gives him a warning. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But you must master it. God has told Cain what to do. And now he has a decision to make. See, the thing about God is that he's not forceful. He won't push anything on you. One time I heard him referred to as a gentleman. He won't just come in and take control of you. You have to give him the authority to do so. You have to make the choice to obey God. And Cain does not obey God. Sin in this verse is depicted here like a beast. And I just picture the devil just waiting for you to screw up so that he can keep you under his control. Cain gives in to the temptation. He takes his brother out into a field and he murders him. He tries to bury his sin, but even our sins, when they are buried in the darkness, cry out to us. We must master it. I decided this year for our youth group that we were going to have the theme of the comeback because 2020 was not good. And so we were going to make 2021 the comeback year. And so every week we either read a story from the Bible about a character, because I don't know if you've read the Bible or not, but they make a lot of mistakes. And then God redeems them. And so that's what we've been doing. So we've been reading about the characters of the Bible and their mistakes and their comebacks. But we're also having people come in and share their testimonies. Once a month we have someone come in and share. And I've really been blessed by what I've seen almost every time. Someone comes in and they know they're going to share and it's going to be hard. And you can almost see the trepidation. You can almost see a little bit of downcast. And then as they begin to share what they've been trying so hard to hide, they're set free. And they almost begin to preach then to our youth. At one, we had um, one of my friends gave her testimony, and she started pretty much sitting down and really nervous. By the end of it, she was up on her feet, and she was free. You could see the weight that had been taken off of her because she shared what God had done in her life, and everything that she had tried so hard to hide was now in the open. And when it comes to light, the devil can't do anything about it. So, how do we overcome the evil one? The Bible tells us in Revelation... 12:10 For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down they have overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony they did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death 
from the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. We must believe that the blood of Jesus washes us white as snow and trust God when the trials come our way. Don't let sin hide in your heart. Sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. The evidence against you may be a lot, but love covers a multitude of sins. Part of Christ is sharing our struggles with people we trust, surrounding ourselves with people that are evenly yoked, that will remind you of the power of the Holy Spirit and that we can stand against the accuser. Because while he stands up there trying to bring the evidence against you, Jesus sits on the throne next to God, and he says, I took care of that. My blood covers that. I've already taken that to the cross, and everything that hangs on the cross is cursed. It's over. We must shut the mouth of the enemy and get into agreement with God and believe what he says. No matter what you have done before, God says, you are chosen. You are loved. You are enough. You are not your past mistakes. You are redeemed. Second chances aren't just for inmates. They're for everyone. Receive grace for yourselves and extend that grace to others. Because when you know how much God has forgiven you for, it's a lot easier to forgive those who hurt you. And when you understand that your sin is equal to anyone else's sin, you can look at those people that have come out of really dark situations and extend grace to them. Our last song is going to be You Are Redeemed, and um, this is not one that we have done before here, and so I thank the worship team for um, practicing so hard and learning a new song. Um, my, my last suggestion for you is if you are here tonight, or this morning, sorry, it's dark, and you don't know or have not received the receiving grace of Jesus Christ, I just ask that you don't let another day slip by without receiving that. Like I said, he's a gentleman. He's not going to push his way on you. And if you are like me and struggle with the things that you've done wrong, I pray that you just extend grace and mercy for yourself this morning. Our altars are always open for you. Someone will come and pray with you. If you don't want to be prayed with, you can just tell us to go away. But I just pray that you would listen to the words of this song and that when you leave, you have shook off the heavy chains, that you have wiped away every stain because you are redeemed. <laughs>